This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This Ace Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Check out their spring collection. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. It's time to go inside the front office of the Athletics with the general manager of the A's, David Forst. Here now is the David Forst Show with Chris Townsend. David Forst, how are you? I didn't, I didn't know I had an opening act, so nice, nice to be able to follow the manager. Yeah, just some manager. You're the headliner. I mean, it's like when, we, when you're going to the big show, you got you to gotta bring on the main talent. You're it. Well, Kotz is a pretty good main talent in his own right, so we'll figure it out. You know, how happy are you for him with, with these wins? You, you can just see it. You can see it in him after the games. You can see it in an interview like that. Uh, it's tough when you're losing to be that manager, a lot of sleepless nights, but just how happy are you for Kotz and the staff? So getting some valid, some validation with some of these wins. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, going through that, that week of seven straight wins – uh, my thoughts are definitely with with Mark and the staff and all the work that they've put in, um, you know, every day, win or, lo- win or lose. So it's just nice to see, you know, and I know Marcus said this, it's nice to see guys have their work rewarded with, with a win. And, um, you know, the losses have taken their toll and, and you know, we're going to continue to to run up against the tough clubs here, but it, it is nice to, to have that stretch. Now, obviously it's tough for the front office too, but when I think about the coaching staff, and all the time that you put in, but you only have so much control. Like you're helping these guys as much as you can, but you're you're not out there on the mound with them. Scott Emerson's not pitching. Tommy is not there in the box with these guys hitting. There's only so so. I gotta think it's so tough for the coaches because you put everything into it, all the video, all the data, everything you can to help the guys, but you can't hit you can't hit or pitch for them. Without without a doubt. I mean that's something we all share outside of the 26 guys on the field is you, you don't have control, um, you know, once the game starts. I mean, obviously Mark is making moves uh, and they're talking to the guys between innings and, and Emo and, and Mike McCarthy are working with the pitchers and catchers as the game goes along. But, um, but yeah, control is a big issue and the guys on the field have to go do it. So, um, so that's why you feel extra good for Mark and the staff when they get to, you know, get to go home at night with a win. Now, I know you probably didn't think I was thinking about you on vacation, but I was thinking about you because well, – It's uh, good to know. It's a little scary, but good to know. Because I'm sitting there going, you know what? If I if I could get into David Force's mind, you know, when you're going through those tough times, it's hard for you to say, hey, listen, I haven't had Blackburn. I, I haven't had my big left-handed hitter. Seth Brown's been out. He's not only my big left-handed hitter, he's also the leader in our clubhouse. So I could give you his stats from the last 10 games, which is important, but he's also a main leader for you. And I know if you would have been saying that, people would have said, ah, who cares? But I was thinking about it. As this team starts to win, you start to see the guys that you relied on that you didn't have early, they're starting to get healthy for you. Well, you're right. We're not going to – make excuses and talk about the guys who aren't around, but 
Look, I mean, you look at the impact Paul has on the rotation. I think, what are we, nine and seven since he was activated, nine and eight something? I mean, obviously, significantly different record than what we had before he was here. And and there's there's such a significant impact of that. Having that guy you can count on every fifth day, five or six innings going to keep you in the game, and it helps you reset the bullpen. It just gives you a different mindset and – um, you know, just having one Paul Blackburn out there, I think really impacts the entire pitching staff and the entire team. Again, going out there with the idea that, you know, you have a chance to win tonight. So it's it, it's sort of it's hard to not really look at the impact he's had. And utilizing the opener, I just with Mark before you got on and got to see the end of it. I, I use the analogy since we got the U.S. Open going right now down in Los Angeles. I mentioned it's like golf. If you could tell me. I could guarantee that I got a couple pars to start the round and how much that would settle me going through the rest of the round. That to me is kind of like what the opener is. It kind of gets you on some solid footing, like a couple pars, and then away you go the rest of the game. Uh, you've utilized the opener really well. How, how, how do you feel about that analogy? And then just talk to us how the opener has been working for you. I do, I do like the analogy. I think, unfortunately, you know, the guy pitching in the first inning has to work for those pars. They're not, they're not guaranteed. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons to do it. Obviously, there are good matchups to be had in the first inning. If you, you know, like we did with Hogan, start the game with a righty, go to a lefty. Um, but you also see the impact it has on the starter being able to get through the sixth inning, into the seventh inning even, get through that lineup where the top of the lineup's only seeing him for the second time through. Like, there's a lot of benefits. It, it gives a reliever a different look and a, a little little pressure-free situation as opposed to coming in in the sixth or seventh. So we have had some success on both sides. You know, even if it doesn't always lead to a W, I think the impact on the starter and, you know, guys who are frankly still developing, it, it makes a difference. You know, we didn't have this early on, but we definitely have it now. We have really good stories with the starting pitching. I think J.P. Sears, uh, we didn't see this, but if you would have said, who is the guy in spring training, if you said, who's going to be the guy that really separates himself, I don't know if a lot of us would have picked J.P. Sears, but right now he's got a 2.53 ERA over his last six starts. We know James Caprellian went down, kind of found himself, Forget just talking about stuff. I think he kind of found himself as a pro where you got to look yourself in the mirror knowing that, you know, the road only goes so long. It seems like he's found himself. You mentioned Hogan Harris. You just, I mean, efforts, the way the ball the effortlessly comes out of his hand, it's so smooth. He's got great stuff. Just talk about how you're pitching and some of these guys are really starting to be competitive and be consistent, and that's what you need to do at this level. I mean, it's what you need to do as a team to have a chance to win. I mean, that's that's really the difference over the last three weeks versus, you know, what we saw in the season is, you know, guys sort of falling behind right away, team falling behind early in the game. But when you when you stabilize that starting rotation and all those guys you've talked about have really progressed since the beginning of the season. I mean, JP kind of came out of spring pitching well, had some good starts early on. But as a group, that rotation – uh, has really made progress, and that's not easy to do at this level. Um, you know, it's it's hard to learn up here, to, to develop up here, and they have done it. You know, like you said, Cap went down, 
or a couple starts in AAA. Um, you know, even moving Waldachuk into the pen for some two and three inning outings, you saw the way he threw the ball the other night in innings seven, eight, and nine. And that's that's a huge success to get him throwing strikes. Um, you know, he threw as many change-ups and got as many swings and misses in the three-inning outing as he did in most of his starts. So there's some really good things going on. Kyle Muller threw six innings last night in Vegas, gave up one run, punched out seven. So these are things that, you know, you expect they're going to happen out of the gate, but it's probably unfair to young pitchers. And you, you and I have talked a lot about these guys going up and down and up and down in terms of their performance. So we're trying to be patient, trying to, you know, take the positives right now. And it, it's a good little run they're on. And then talk to us about how at some point you're going to get reinforcements from some of your relievers who have been out, who are starting to throw again. Yeah. Kirby, Kirby Sneed's throwing the ball really well between Arizona and Vegas. Uh, Freddie Tarnock threw two and two thirds last night, scoreless in Vegas didn't give up any hits and, you know, Freddie may, we'll keep stretching Freddie out. He may be an option as a starter, maybe here as a reliever at some point. We'll see. So we are going to continue to have some options. Um, Adrian's being stretched out down in Vegas. So, you know, we, we're, we're trying not to have as much turnover as we did early in the season, which, you know, by virtue of the starters going four five and six innings, you don't have to do it. So it's a little more stable, uh, but it is nice to have, have good options to choose from. How's Jackson and Jimenez doing? They're coming along slowly, unfortunately. I mean, I think we knew Danny was going to take a little while. We put him right on the 60-day, and we knew we were going to have to slow play this injury that, that frankly, bothered him at the end of last year and, and came back. So Danny's Danny's moving slowly. Jackson throwing the ball. Mason's playing catch. Um, you know, Rusinski you know, had this knee thing pop up and he's back to playing catch. So there's progress on the IL guys, but it's going to take a little while. So where we are right now in mid-June, we know the trading deadline a month and a half. Uh, are you fielding a lot of calls from other teams? Obviously, there's going to be more buyers and sellers. Where are we kind of at this point? Because we, we're a long way away, but we're also not. There's some teams feeling things out. Um, you know, there's there's a, always a one-off here where you actually go deeper and exchange some names. And, and there's always active trade conversations, but a lot of feelers going out right, right now. And, um, you know, college college tournaments coming to an end, the Ser World Series starting tonight. I heard you and Cots talking some college glory days at the end of your chat. So Well, his, uh, his glory days. <laughs> I didn't have to. I didn't have too many. <laughs> your, your, your days, his glory days. My day, my day. Yes. Uh, well, that's and that's interesting to bring up is is that this is kind of like your you're picking so high, and there's talking about all this great talent there in Omaha right now. And obviously, there's high school kids and all these other college kids, but there's a lot of great talent in Omaha. How much are you going to be watching the College World Series? Oh, a lot. Yeah. I mean, the way it worked out this year, it's not always the case that the, the top, top college prospects end up there. But if you look at the field this year, um, you know, the LSU guys, Florida, Virginia, TCU, you've got, you know, Wake Forest. So you've got really the, the top, top pitchers and hitters there. So we're going to spend a lot of time watching those games. Does it mean a lot to you to have these guys perform Because at, at, at Omaha? Because it is on national television. It is the biggest stage any of these players have ever played on. It's another data point for sure. I mean, to some extent, you you know, you know feel like you've watched them 
not only all spring, but, you know, for two and three years now or more going back to high school and you feel like you've, you've made your evaluation and you want to make sure you don't let one or two games on TV kind of, you know, change your opinion or make up your mind. But it's certainly a data point to see how they, how they compete with those, with the best teams and, and in front of a huge crowd and a, a TV crowd like that. You know, I know we've talked about how none of us are really thrilled about how the draft goes all the way to the all-star, I mean, to the all-star break. I mean, it is what it is. We got to control what we can control. But now that we have this combine, and I know it was in San Diego last year, this year it's going to be down in Arizona. Do you like, do you like the combine? Do you think you guys are getting a lot out of it? I, I do, yeah. I think the best part of the combine has been the ability to – to sit down one-on-one with a handful of guys, you know, a, a real like 20, 25 minute conversation, not just, Hey, you know, nice to meet you or whatever the way you might get at a game, but really dig in, ask about their, what they're thinking about their philosophies on the field. So that's, that's been a really good part of it. Um, and then the on-field stuff. I mean, some of these guys who were hurt during the year, you get to see them work out or get another look. I mean, I'm not sure we have Mason Miller without his combine performance. He really kind of opened up some eyes there. So there are certainly some real good things to come out of it. Yeah, I got to think something that really is unique to this. I mean, you, you get to see guys. There's video now. There's more information on players. But the fact that, and we've heard about this for years, with the NFL combine, and as you, you mentioned this, but I, if you could talk to this just a little bit more, that you really get to sit down with guys for the first time and get to learn more about them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, every every team gets a suite. So this year we'll be in Chase Field in Arizona. Every team gets a suite around the ballpark and you really just welcome in, you know, one guy every half hour to your suite to come in, sit down, you know, ask him what he's thinking at the plate. Ask him what he's looking for. Like, how did he learn to hit? What's important to him? Like, you know, really sort of dig in. And, um, you know, we've we've seen some guys now that we've had this for a few years, you, you know, you check the box or you don't, you learn sort of what they're made of a little bit, way more than just going to watch them out on the field one or two days. You know, one guy that, you know, we've talked quite a bit about, but now we're getting towards the halfway point. Ryan noted to me, we, we, you know, so much was about Rooker early. Then here comes Ruiz with all of the stolen bases. But in the meantime, here is Ryan Noda. And as of today, all guys who qualified, he has the on he has the best on base percentage of all American League batters. You look at his last ten games, you look at his X amount of games, the way he's his barrel rate's going up, he's hitting the ball hard. I just talk about the development of what you've seen in Ryan Noah and how it could maybe change how you view certain players coming up from Las Vegas later on the season. Yeah, I mean, what Ryan's done, I mean, you sort of nailed it. He's he's really developed over the first two months. I mean, what we saw in April, I think, was a guy who was sort of going up there, maybe looking to walk, looking to sort of use that skill. And and it, it's a great skill, his, his strike zone judgment. Um, but he's gotten more aggressive. He's gotten more confident in his swing. When he comes up with runners on base, he's not looking to necessarily pass the baton. He'll take the walk if it's there, but he's looking to drive guys in now and uh, kind of been that perfect two-hole hitter for Cots. He's not not afraid to see some pitches if Esty's on first base. Um, you know, if he comes up with bases empty, he'll find a way to get on himself. So, the you know, the consistency, the continued growth, and the, the sort of added confidence for Ryan have really been, been fun to watch over these first, you know, two-plus months. And, you know, as far as how it affects guys – 
coming up. Obviously, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Tyler, who's splitting time between catching and first base down there, and he'll continue to do that. Um, you know, Ryan's shown the ability to go out in the outfield and be versatile. I, you know, we think about guys when they're here, we'll figure out what to do with them. It's, you know, as, as Keith Lippman used to say, you know, you can never have too many good players. Keith used to complain about where are we going to play all these guys? And I was like, really, Keith? He's like, you're right. We, we can't have too many good players. So, um, so we'll, fi- we'll figure it out, but it's just, it's been fun to watch Ryan and, and, you know, look, for, coming from the pressure he was under in spring training as a rule five guy who knows he has to take advantage of this to then really sort of being confident, feeling comfortable and settled in now it's, it's been great. So you're saying in all, I mean, you've been in baseball now for a long time. You've never had that phone call where you're, or you've been on a zoom where everybody looks around and goes, David, we got too many damn good players. What are we going to do? It hasn't happened yet. I will let, I will let you know. Let's end on this, and and I'm not trying to oversell this, but it really happens everywhere in life. Good people lead to good things. And when I think about Seth Brown coming back, I think about somebody who kind of is the de facto leader, bringing him back into the clubhouse, having him healthy, having to be – you mentioned Blackburn already for the staff. But just talk about Seth Brown. There is something about leadership. There is something about having the guy – back in the clubhouse for your team and he comes back and you guys are winning more games without a doubt and he, and even you know brownie will be the first to tell you he's not putting up the numbers he, he wants to or expects to but there is something about having him in the lineup in the dugout in the clubhouse where you know you you sort of you take the pressure off some of the other guys because you know brownie Brownie is a veteran on this team. He may not be sort of object, objectively a veteran in the game, but he's a veteran on this team. He's seen teams here that win. He's see, been here long enough to, you know, see what it looks like. And he does help. He helps everybody else. So it's not a not a coincidence, you know, when we start playing better as a team when a guy like that is back in the lineup. And he's such a good guy that's earned everything. He has had to earn everything that he has. And the way he treats everybody, especially the young guys, there's something about somebody that just is inclusive. He wants to include everybody. Not everybody has that quality. For sure, without a doubt. I mean, going back to the beginning, a a late-round pick from a small school um, who really, you know, had to hit and hit and hit his way here and really – sort of open our eyes to get here. And, uh, yeah, those are the guys you root for. All right. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon. And congratulations on getting some W's. Thanks, Tony. See ya. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.